Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast and after an unscheduled break of a couple of weeks I'm back today with another great guest. I decided a few weeks ago that after what had been a very busy first eight months of the year the only way to recharge completely was to switch off during my family holiday hence why this podcast has been on pause for two weeks Uh, but today I'm back feeling refreshed or at least as refreshed as you can do after a holiday with three kids and I'm filled with enthusiasm and energy for both the upcoming episodes of this podcast but also the next few months ahead I've got loads of exciting stuff going on which I will tell you about another time but let's focus on today's guest for now he is the co-founder and CEO of Team Radery Michael McCarroll Michael's career started as a management consultant he worked at McKinsey before co-founding Lattice Engine a pioneer in the AI application space in 2020 he co-founded Team Radery a platform designed to help enterprises build high-performing teams. And the platform brings together some of the world's leading experts across a very wide range of fields. As you'll hear, everything from chess to hip-hop and also subject matter experts in management and leadership. Now, personally, I've experienced the benefits of learning through these types of experience over the past few years. And given the significant changes in the workplace and businesses worldwide, I'm absolutely certain that experiences like this can make a huge difference, not just in building connection and fostering collaboration, but also developing the types of skills they're required for individuals and businesses to succeed so i think you'll enjoy this i think the work the team rider are doing is really interesting and important so let's dive into our conversation with michael so michael it's a pleasure to have you on the show today um i wanted to start with a nice broad question what, what do you see as the biggest challenges that leaders are facing right now and specifically the types of challenges that me and your customers come to you to help them solve them. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, generally the leaders of teams are confident or relatively confident on the direction that they're taking their team functionally, right? You're a marketing leader and you're pretty comp- confident that uh, you're doing the right things on the marketing side. You're a sales leader and you're you know, pretty confident that you're doing the right things to line your team up for success where we see a lot of managers feel uncertain and um, struggle is how do I keep my team uh, performing at the highest possible level together? So if you ever, um, you know, if you're a manager in most companies, you, you get a few times a year, there's a company survey, right? And employees respond to the survey and they, Talk about things like, you know, how engaged am I and how much do I trust other people and you name it. And if you're a manager, you often get those results back and it's a bit of a splash of cold water because you see something that's, you know, you think your team is doing well. And yet when you see a survey, it says, wow, people are not as engaged as I thought they were. And there are issues between people that I didn't know existed. Um, And they show up with these kind of big terms like engagement is low or um, trust is lacking. And if you're a manager, you you can read that. First, it's disappointing uh, because you mean to do well and you mean to lead people well. And then second, it's like really unclear how to resolve those things. I think as you've as we've moved from the 2010s where we were all the, the world of work was pretty. Um, pretty static in a way to this new era when we 
when we see these kinds of things coming in, we're unsure really what to do with it because a lot of the tools that we were used to using, oh, let's let's go take everybody out to dinner um, or let's all go to the pub and have a pint, right? Those kinds of things you can't quite do anymore if your team is no longer all physically sitting with you in an office. And just, you know, for 20 years, we've been more distributed in the way that we work. Um, and that's really accelerated, obviously, in the last few years as things like hybrid work and uh, things like that have promoted. So I think the most common thing we see is managers that are struggling with the, call it the softer side of a team. And you know, I think everybody knows uh, that if you don't get those things right, you simply don't have a team that's high-performing. And that's the aspiration of, you know, just about every manager, certainly that we need. Yeah. I mean, it certainly backs up a lot of what I see. It's been interesting, actually. I think even the last 12 months, we've seen a slight shift driven by the economy, I'm sure. And you, you know, you're on the West Coast. I know within a lot of tech businesses, there've been not just layoffs, but actually a shift in focus towards what people are calling a performance culture, which I don't mind that term, actually, because I think, you know, who, who doesn't want to be a part of an organization which emphasizes performing well and that being something which is cultural. But what I find quite fascinating is about the way people and leaders perceive what that really means and getting the balance between creating a culture which emphasizes high performance, you know, emphasizes results, emphasizes growth, but also cultivating a sustainable and positive approach to that as well. Because of course, simultaneously, we're seeing issues like burnout. So I'm really intrigued because you've got probably a really good kind of grip on how different organizations are approaching it as they've shifted that focus. How do you create and cultivate a culture which both emphasizes performance, but also balances in an effective way the sustainable aspect, making sure that you don't just drive people into the ground and burn people out? Yeah, I mean, it's a couple of things. So one... Um what we've certainly seen in our business. So we have a mix of categories of shared team experiences that people can buy. Yeah. And the categories range from connection is one category. So help my team feel more connected to one another. Um, trust is a category, but then categories like creativity are there. Speed of communications are there. Um, uh, collaboration is another category. And what we've seen certainly from 2021 to 22, and then uh, more significantly from 22 to 23, has been the categories that uh, that company, well, the categories that managers seek to buy from, or the categories that their companies tell them you're reimbursed for buying Team Rottery if you buy from them. Those have shifted. And the categories that today have just about every company saying, you know, use Team Rottery as much as you like are categories around collaboration, uh, performance, uh, productivity, creativity. So those types of things um, and communication. Yeah. And the, 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 and so what that, what that really means is, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a large employer, you tell your, you, Tell your teams, hey, look, we've created a, it's called learning and development budget, right? And you can apply your learning and development budget to these types of categories. Okay. So, you know, the, the, uh, 
in which you would, you know, what we've certainly seen is both manager interest and then, if you will, top down HR interest in teams developing themselves along these lines and maybe a little bit less emphasis on the connection part. Okay. Um, the, you know, the, the popularity, I think that we've, of our platform that we've seen in the last 12 months has been, you know, nobody's perfect. We're not perfect, but has been that we've, we've managed to provide managers a, a way of um, threading the needle between pursuing these productivity related goals around, you know, creativity and communication and collaboration, but doing it as in a way that helps a team actually feel more connected to each other. So let me explain yeah. the, uh, the way team rider experiences work is the manager sets up a, he schedules a 45 minute, uh, you know, meeting um, people join from the office or join from wherever they're working. doesn't matter. And a team rider host joins and leads the team through these evidence-based uh, an evidence-based set of activities that you do that promote either trust or, or creativity or you name it. And, um, but what's happening is actually the team's doing it all together. And so if, like if you and I are both asked to go do a corporate learning program and you're supposed to go watch a set of videos, I'm supposed to go watch a set of videos, like a classic learning and development exercise. You know, we might do it. We would sort of dread it. It would feel very top down and mm. uh, it becomes kind of a negative part of our day. We don't feel more connected to each other. When humans, when humans do things in groups, specifically when they learn in groups, um, it turns out that two things happen. Uh, so one thing that happens when humans learn as, as a group, right, um, is first of all, absorption is far higher, uh, conditional on there being a mechanism during the, the learning session for people to internalize what they just picked up. Internalize just means, you know, we learn a concept and I kind of describe what it means, you know, to me as we work at company X, wherever we work, right. And you do the same thing. Internalize it just means it's not like we just listened, but we actually, uh, in, we processed it and applied it, right? So that's kind of one, one thing that happens is people learn more. But the second thing that happens is there's this thing called the epiphany effect. And the epiphany effect is where uh, if, you, if you and I discover something or, or shift our perspective at the same time, we'll actually like each other more. Because we both actually evolved our the way we think at exactly the same time. And it leads us both to see each other as more flexible and open-minded people. And therefore, we like each other more. So there's this interesting effect you can do with your learning programs where you can increase absorption, right? Which has always been kind of the goal. Mm -hmm. But you can actually create bonds between people when they learn something and have an epiphany. Uh, dramatic word, but you know, I think you get it like uh, it. at the like same it. time. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you kind of pause for a moment, right. Suppose, suppose we were going to go through any kind of course and we have the option of like doing it the traditional way through, you know, videos or this newer way. And it actually takes us exactly the same amount of time to go through it. Right. We have the same amount of time that we're not working and, learning instead of working. Um, and, you know, but you get, um, 
depending on the study, you get anywhere from 30% to 70% more retention where people retain the ideas. And then you get this side benefit of people um, actually liking each other, seeing each other in a better place as a result of doing it together. So it's a, it's very much a way of learning that aligns to, you know, kind of what the call of the day is, which is productivity and performance. Yeah. Firstly, I love the epiphany effect. Not heard that expression, but it resonated. And um, I think it, re- it resonated for loads of reasons. I did. I'm, I'm not sure about you, but over the past few years, I kind of dipped my toe into a few cohort-based courses, not within an organization, actually. The general things I'm interested in, whether it's copywriting, whether it's some things around AI, just little groups, communities, right. which incorporated learning. And I completely get that thing. It's, you know, the, I can picture those situations where I've been in breakouts with people where you've had that breakthrough and that connection is brought. And actually, I think back to those people that I've remained in contact with, it's it's often been through the learning experience rather than, I don't know, some sort of matching through demographics or any of that sort of stuff. It's actually about pro- progress. And I think there's a really fascinating, I'm, I'm going slightly off topic here, but you probably probably see this in, to an extent there's a really interesting phenomenon i think within community where those that you connect with best are often people who are experiencing something at the same time as you and it could be any number of things it could be for me i'm a dad with young kids so there's a, com- a community of dads who um, we share music on the group there's that stage of life that we're at there could be a stage of career at. i've been on entrepreneurs groups in the past of you know different founders based in in london which is where i'm based and again it's a certain stage of life and I think if you can incorporate building that level of connection and um, just under, un, understanding and empathy about someone else's situation with that experience you describe, like just completely makes sense to me having spent a lot of time thinking about these things. And that's why you're right. Epiphany, dramatic word, but completely represents, I think, that experience that I've had. Um, second one, fascinating. So obviously as you said it's all evidence-based and i know um and i'm really fascinated also by the use of the word host that you describe this as people hosting but of course a lot of the people who are hosting are subject matter experts as well right as far as i understand it you book this team rider experience and you've got somebody who isn't just somebody who's done a bit of reading around communication they are some real subject matter experts in, in bringing that experience to teams is that right yeah and we endeavor uh for the hosts, they kind of have, they have three characteristics, right? So, um, so first they are somebody who has accomplished something of significance in this field, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's kind of one dimension. The second thing actually is that the field has to kind of not just be the world of work. So what we're really seeking is somebody who has accomplished something in an adjacent field that has relevance to your world of work, but not, not directly. I'll tell you why in a moment. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And then the third thing is actually uh, that although the host has knowledge that when they're engaging the team through a tomorrow experience, the training we give them and the hosts we select basically don't talk very much. And Mm. their purpose is to be, catalysts rather than um, speakers. Uh, in fact, they have a you know, finite amount of time that they are not to exceed and not yeah. to speak very much. So the reason for the last one should be pretty obvious, right? Which is to the point we were just talking about the epiphany effect, um, you know, talk less, ask questions of people. They talk enough to 
share a point, but the emphasis is on then provoking others to talk about that. Yeah. And through that provocation comes the learning and growth, right? So that's kind of the reason for that third effect, that third effect of people that are catalysts rather than, than, than a classic host. First, so that's the third point. Um, on the first one, you know, we, we look for people. Uh, so the, the people that host experiences on our platform range from Gary Kasparov, the chess grandmaster, uh, Nadia Komenich, the famous gymnast, um, uh, Drew Dixon, who you might not have heard of, but she's one of the pioneers of hip hop music, right? So really diverse set there, right? You've got, you've got chess, sport, and, um, you know, hip hop. Okay. None of which at first glance have anything to do with work. However, to really excel in the field of chess, for example, um, and this is an obvious point, but you know, you, you have to be thinking, and there's even a, you know, kind of a meme board three moves ahead, right. Or 10 moves ahead, right. You name it. Um, which I think we would all agree, like, geez, in the world of work, we really should be thinking, about implications of steps and implications of reactions and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So somebody like Kasparov leads an experience and uh, he joins you live and he he brings lessons from the world of chess and helps you apply them to the world of work. Now chess is also, I know not everybody plays chess, but you know, most people are at least familiar with it and familiar with the core concepts. And so those concepts are pretty easy to understand if you look at the game of chess. Um, and, and I would just say, you know, he helps you see chess in a new, new light, new dimension. But what the team actually then does is extends those concepts from, if he's helping you sort of get this new appreciation of how chess works, your team, you know, you and the mates that join you from work uh, are actually then applying that to, to your work. Mm-hmm. Nadia Komenich, right. Is a, um, she and her her husband's Bart Connor, who um, uh, all of you not as famous as Nadia, but they're they're both fa- they're both famous gymnasts, right? They they share a couple of stories, not necessarily about how they train, um, but more about like what a gymnast is thinking about as they train. And the reason it's it's interesting is you know in gymnastics you sort of pursue perfection. Well. Um, you know, but you never actually reach it because the environment you're in is so dynamic. You have to just basically react very quickly. So it's actually a conversation about agility and how you create a higher degree of agility on your team Hmm. by taking what gymnasts do and how they see the world and applying that to the world of work. So the idea of these hosts is, again, it's approachable topics, be it chess, gymnastics, hip hop music that everybody kind of understands. You can, there they're, they're kind of low risk ways to engage in a conversation about those areas. Um, and that's part of where the learning and growth comes from is these are things everybody can engage upon um, and develop a perspective around and then apply that to the way you work today. Nice. You don't have to get deep into the specifics here, but I suppose a couple of observations. So I've both sat in these types of sessions and facilitated them, I guess, would be the best way of describing it because although I like, I think catalyst is a better, more dynamic description. But 45 minutes is actually not very long, is it? You know, as in it's, if you think about how you schedule your day, 
it works perfectly. I'm sure some companies, perhaps they put it in a lunch and learn type situation. It's a, it's a slot of time which works really well. But I'd imagine it's quite difficult for the host, these specialists, these, in some cases, incredibly accomplished people with much to say and probably who'd also do keynote speaking to both facilitate that session and to do it within 45 minutes without speaking very much. So I'm just intrigued about whether how that dynamic works and whether therefore it's best suited to small teams, for example, versus a large team. What's the kind of the, the number? Because, you know, the old Jeff Bezos thing was the idea of the pizza meeting. I'm guessing there's something similar here, right? Because you can't, you can't connect with a, uh, you know, a large number of people in a 45-minute period very effectively. So it's exactly right. Um, so, uh, and the pizza analogy is a good one. So we actually, when we, when we started the business, one of our, one of our largest customers had a, uh, makes one of the big meeting platforms, right? Online meeting platforms. Mm. And they had worked with us to do some tests to help optimize, uh, identify what the optimal size of team is to do in a shared team experience. And, Lots of research around it. Turns out the right answer is um, uh, yeah, basically right around that pizza answer. It's under 15 people. Mm. And the reason is pretty obvious. It's, it's, it's similar to the Jeff Bezos logic, right? Um, so if the experiences are 45 minutes long, and if the host is only actually speaks for a small share of time, to the point you made maybe even before we started was time is finite, right? So 45 yeah. minutes is 45 minutes. Host is speaking for 10 minutes total, right? Interjected throughout 45, mm. which means the other humans have approximately 35 minutes to actually, to the point earlier, internalize what they shared by applying it to their world of work. So yeah. um, we have you know, experiences that where you, you can do it with four people, five people, that works fine. Eight people, nine people, it's great. Um, 12 is fine. What we have found is uh, as you start getting larger, like north of 15, um, the obvious thing happens, which is everybody had, there's, there's time hasn't expanded. So each person has less time to actually chime in. And so fewer people do chime in. And when those people don't chime in, they don't internalize the new things quite as effectively. Um, yeah. And so we, we do have a format that's designed for, 30, 50, 100 person team experiences. Cause you know, those are, you still need to do those sometimes, but mm. the, um, the, you know, we're known for delivering outcomes where a team moves from point A to point B, right. An outcome. And those are most effectively achieved when team size is 15 and under. Mm. So you have your 45 minute sessions and then is best practice for, people to step away and have some guide to refer to or is it is that 45 minutes and you step away and it's done is there some sort of material for people to kind of reflect upon how do you approach that type of thing yeah so <clears throat> uh after each experience uh we provide the manager the leader the uh, boss if you will um she gets some additional resources from us there are what are called evidence-based tips and for four weeks after the experience, if the experience was about collaboration for four weeks, the manager of the team gets an evidence-based tip once a week of something they okay. can do in less than a minute to take the yeah. ideas from the experience and extend those further 
with their with their team. Because um, again, just you know, stepping back, generally, the reason a manager has decided to do team roster experiences with their team is to achieve this dual dual goal of well, I want people to be more connected with each other, but I want to evolve the team along one of these dimensions. Yep. That evolution is makes progress after one experience, but obviously it can go further. And so that's what the evidence-based tips do is it helps the manager um, adapt their style in really simple, easy ways so that they mm-hmm. can help the team along this journey towards being more X, whatever the outcome is, X. Yeah, nice. So you, you mentioned, obviously, it, you can join these experiences wherever you are. You know, you could be working hybrid and happen to be in the office that day. You could be working remotely. But clearly, you know, this shift to distributed teams has been one of the most significant trends we've seen in the workplace in many years. And as, as we know, clearly COVID accelerated that process. I spent a lot of time with businesses who, frankly, are struggling with how to structure different work modes, whether it's working remotely or hybrid. And that manifests in all of the challenges which you describe. How do you build connection between different people? How do you navigate the fact that some people just want to be at home more because they're caregivers versus in the office more? So trust is a really interesting one because I think that's one thing. If I just make a generalization, I think a lot of it work people working are experiencing trust issues with their leaders in some cases. And just being really specific, you know, I had three meetings last week where people described to me how a policy had been laid out for hybrid working and it wasn't necessarily stuck to. And and that then starts just eating away at the, the trust between leaders and their teams. I'm just interested to hear whether, and this might just be a much bigger issue perhaps than how to address it in specific team experiences, but I'm just interested in your thoughts on that and what strategies you've seen working best to establish trust in remote and hybrid teams. Yeah, this is just uh, you know, one thing. If it, if it seems like everybody is unhappy with whatever the work setup is, it's, it's, it's true. Um, there was a piece of data out, it was like a week ago, two weeks ago, from Nick Bloom at Stanford um, Work From Home Institute, they uh, the survey basically said how many days a week they asked people, uh, how many days a week would you like to work from an office? And the answer was, you know, zero, one, two, three, four, five. And no one uh, answer had more than 28% of the vote and no one answer had less than say 18% of the vote, right? Mm. And the takeaway from that is like, no matter uh, if you have a a policy, uh, which most companies do, because you need to have policies that say people are going to work from an office X days a week, X is a number from zero to five. No matter what you pick, basically 80% of the people will think it's, it's, it's wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, some people will think it's too little in the office. Some people think it's too much in the office. Only 20% of people are actually happy with it. Okay. So that just means on every team everywhere, there's going to be a latent level of frustration with the work mode decision. Okay. Um, the, you know, sort of in, and, you know, what, what, uh, what's really behind all of that, because the decision about where you're going to work, it's usually, it's, I mean, it's practically nobody really cares to the very point you made at the very start, it's all about where leadership thinks the best productivity 
is happening or outcomes are happening, whether that's in an office or not in an office, right? So at some level, we're all disagreeing about something, but I think we all agree on what the right outcome is, which is performance, productivity, everybody wants to, to be there. Yeah. And so, um, so again, 80% of people don't like whatever work mode you chose. Um, but effectively, 100% of those people all actually share the same goal, which is, um, you know, at work, I want to be inspired by the people I work with. I want them, I want to feel like they trust me. I want to feel like they like the work I do and those types of things. So you can very quickly get past the noise around exactly where we're going to work how many days a week. If you get the other element, which is I feel connected to the people I work with and I feel like they appreciate what I do. If you can optimize, if you can make movement on that second front, it totally washes out the noise on the first front. Mm. Because the noise around that is always a function of, you know, you disagree with that policy in part because you're like, well, I don't like to commute. Fine. But it's largely around, you know, I, that's, I want to perform at my peak level, which is what everybody wants to do. Everybody wants to be a peak performer at work. We're humans and want to achieve. The point is the noise is over here around how many days we work wherever, but you can wash that away in an instant if you get the team to really enjoy and thrive working together. And that, you know, again, is, is what our mission is certainly is to do exactly that. Hmm. Yeah, I always find it fascinating when the Gallup engagement data comes out and it comes out every year. And the headline figure, frankly, is slightly depressing, although it's improved slightly this year in that, you know, ostensibly far fewer people are actively engaged at work than you would hope. Now, two things. One, no real person at work uses the word engaged to describe how they're feeling. They use much more human emotions, right? But let's just assume that we all understand what engaged means. And if you don't, and this is the point, if you look at the 12 standard questions that Gallup used to determine the level of engagement within teams, they're actually really interesting. And they come back to your point. It's sort of first principles thinking in a sense. So, well, what do we mean by getting people to work at their best what do we mean by peak performance and of course what it doesn't just simply mean is you hit these numbers you hit these numbers we're going to drive you into the ground these numbers because you have to bring out the best in people and all these variables determine whether you bring out the best is you know do you feel comfortable in your working environment do you feel like people appreciate your work are you clear about what's expected of you interesting thing about the Gallup data is this thing around do you have a friend at work yeah, and that directly, I think, speaks to the, the really cool work that you're doing because, you know, you don't build a friend, you don't, a friend, well, what are the characteristics of a friend? Someone that you trust, someone that you'd be happy to spend time with, somebody that you're willing to share perhaps a burden with in stressful situations. So I think probably most leaders could do with just stopping and just looking at those 12 questions from Gallup. And by the way, I'll put a link in the show notes to it because. They seem so obvious, actually, when you st- take a step back and look at them. But these are the real human um, metrics that people are using on the ground. So just a little aside there. But I'll just go back to that point you said at the very beginning. That shift in focus to things like collaboration, communication. Where did we shift from? So go back a couple of years. What type of experiences might have been more popular? And I'm going to preface this with just saying... I think what's interesting is that you're combining the ability to connect people 
with the outcome driven approach as in this is a this at the end of this you're going to communicate better but by the way we will design the experience in a way in which you can build connection to but i'm just interested in you know are we talking more your i don't know virtual wine tasting or these types of things which you wouldn't see beyond building connection it'd be difficult to see how you might apply some of those lessons to work situations yeah so if if you want so we we never um offered things that were kind of frivolous, right? So we never went down the path of like offering games and, uh, you know, escape rooms and those types of things, right? Like that's, there's a whole set of companies that, that do that. It was never us. Um, the, the shift that we've, the shift that we've seen is really this is experiences whose primary outcome uh, for us is connection. Those have seen less growth. Um mm-hmm. So not decline, but less growth. Whereas the growth that we've seen, you know, very rapidly has been in experiences that accomplish these very challenging, um, uh, often productivity centric uh, outcomes. You know, and I would tell you that like at some level, it's just, you know, it's, it's driven, it's driven in part by, um, uh, in part by, you know, where CFOs have said it's okay to spend money and not okay to spend money. Um, you know, and that is largely, <clears throat> it has a big implication, right? On yeah, where yeah. corporate money gets, yeah, gets spent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm interested from your point of view. So when you become a founder, you have to invest so much time and energy into building your business. And therefore, I think when you pick the problem space within which you want to operate and because of course when in the early days of a business you're still you're, you're pivoting a little bit you're shifting in terms of the exact focus but there is a problem general problem that you're attracted to i'm intrigued why you decided to focus your time and energy on team experience specifically you probably had a choice you could have hit various different problems and i think in your previous role just having done a bit of research you probably sort of many different problems that teams were experiencing, the business were experiencing. What made you pick this? Well, it's funny. I mean, because the, 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 uh, the people that know me and know, you know, what I really focused on before this were always a little bit surprised. Uh, they're like, you know, it's, it's like, well, that's quite a shift for you, right? So by my, prior to this, I'd been a consultant at McKinsey for a while. And then, you know, the next, 15 years had been uh, r- running sales organizations, um, customer facing organizations, mm-hmm. you know, look where the emphasis and, and I, I probably put undue emphasis on uh, quarterly numbers and performance and those types of things. Right. Okay. I think what I, what I recognized was, you know, this comes with a bit of age. I, you know, kind of my mid forties when we started this, uh, is I kind of saw that like, if I look back at the prior 20 years of, you know, fine, 15 years of like managing people, uh, I probably had not been doing a very good job. In fact, like I had not, right. I had, I had certainly done a, 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 an admirable job on the functional side of coming up with great strategies and ideas and things like that for a team to do functionally. But had I, had I genuinely inspired people, had I 
uh, led people to like be their most creative selves. Had I like, uh, had I really tapped the power, if you lead, you know, a team of eight people, like that's like eight human lives. Every one of those lives is like, has a perspective and that perspective is not, is, you know, every perspective is actually really valuable and, and can make the team better. And I asked myself, you know, had I really tapped that? And, you know, the answer was like, I definitely had not like almost, almost to a point where I felt like, uh, I felt bad that I hadn't been a better manager, you know, all along. And, you know, I kind of just discovered some of these simple things that are, that, that have been learned about how you actually get the most out of people. And the reason for like embracing this now was, you know, post pandemic and this kind of shift to, you know, hybrid distributed work, but just, you know, that's been a 20 year trend where it's not even, you know, yeah. this shift to distributed work where the people you work with aren't necessarily next to you. Those people are in different cities or different countries, but to be, to create a really high performing team, you really do need to get the best out of all of those people. And it's really hard to do that. Right. And so I'm sure like you, I, you know, pick up Harvard business or you, and I read an article and it makes perfect sense. And you're like, that's, they're describing exactly the problem I have on my, in, in my organization. And then you say to yourself, well, how am I going to go do that tomorrow? And that's like really unclear. That's actually what we were endeavoring to do. That was the problem I wanted to dedicate myself to is, you know, I, I found, you know, I mean, perhaps as I did get more senior in organizations, I found I was increasingly seeing these kinds of things that you read in HBR and, you know, did not find that I was able to take what was in Harvard Business Review and actually apply it the next day. And so, you know, was I, I was just kind of, I was like stagnating, but fine, kind of stagnating as being a great leader of people. So I was really interested in this because it seemed that there was an, a very interesting way to go make every team out there way better. And, you know, felt like a really interesting thing to go do. Felt like it could touch lots and lots of people and like, you know, makes everybody's makes the productivity better. That's actually like really important, but it also makes people happier at where they work. Right? Yeah. Right. I mean, just imagine, I mean, this is, sounds a little trite, but like, you know, Imagine if you actually got 5% more, which is a trivial amount, right? 5% more out of everybody that you worked, that worked mm. with you. That would make the team dramatically better, right? Yeah. And it's just sitting there. It's just sitting there for people. And I think every manager knows it. And I found it tantalizing to go after that. Yeah, I can directly see that as well. Because, I mean, look, both in terms of my experience. So, I mean, I ran I ran a company for 10 years, my, my own company. And I think when you're... Yeah, well, you're at different stages of your leadership journey, whether you're a founder of a small business or a scale up through to, you know, large businesses, distributed teams with, um, you know, le- different managers and, and different levels of leadership throughout. Everybody is tight for time. We, we mentioned it already. Everyone's tight for time. Everybody is increasing expectations on everybody. And I think the reality is it's impossible to constantly be on top of every single trend and be a, a master of all of these management skills and techniques, however much you're interested in them, as you and I clearly both are. 
And I think I just go back to that point you mentioned earlier on about the shared learning experience. And I think that's really important here because you apply all of that kind of general thinking about how it's challenging out there and it's more difficult based on time and expectations, but also just the reality right now of people adapting to work in a completely different work mode. And I think throwing these things together into an experience which just simply brings people together for a start is a really effective way to build trust and connection, but then add in someone interesting to share their story. And again, I'm a big big fan of people telling stories within a business and I can see how this might be an effective way for even members of the team to start being able to share their own personal stories through the lessons they learn in in, in the experiences so we've got to wrap up in a minute but I'm really interested just to hear whether there's anything you want to leave us with look I think every manager of a team has a moment where they ask themselves are they doing what they need to be doing to get the most out of people or to get the best out of people, right? Mm. And I don't think there's a manager out there that says, you know, I'm, I'm killing it on that, right? I think everybody recognizes that they're, that they're short. And, you know, I would argue and this, you know, this is when you look at your employee survey, you know, once a year, twice a year, whenever you do it, it always shows up right there, which is when given a chance to give a little bit of anonymous feedback on different dimensions, people are really not, they, they, there's a gap between the way they like to be working with each other and the environment you've created and the one that they wish you had created. Mm. And we know it's hard to move from point A to point B in terms of improving a team dynamic. It's really hard to do, but there's been all this research about exactly how you do it. And, you know, we found a way to take what, you know, is often pretty dry, arcane research in the annals of these journals and turn it into something that is actually engaging and fun. Um, And the biggest challenge, I think that, you know, that certainly that we have as a business, I think most managers have is like, well, that sounds great, but how do I make time for it? And to your point earlier, that's why we bucketed everything into has to fit into 45 minutes because, you know, if it doesn't fit in 45 minutes, it's really hard to do. Um, That's why the experiences are virtual because, you know, practically speaking, your whole team's not in the same place and you're not going to fly on the Malta or wherever to, to go do things multiple times a year. And so that's why we've created a consumable format for it. So I think every, look, every manager is well-intentioned and every manager knows they could be doing better on these things, but they don't know what, what's the thing I do that can fit into an hour a month or an hour a quarter, which is what we really offer yeah. to make the team better. And, you know, that's, that's what we've seen. And I would just encourage people to try it and see what happens on your team. And the results are pretty dramatic and, you know, gratifying, right? Like imagine... Imagine if you kind of got 20% better uh, overnight at what you do. And that's actually what we see is teams will rate their manager um, Mm. 20 to 30% better on the next employee survey if they just do two experiences. And we've, we've seen it across now thousands of teams. And it's really gratifying to think you could change work environment that quickly for that many people. 
Mm. And so, you know, we encourage managers to give it a try and see, see what happens to their teams. Good stuff. Well, I'll um, put a link to the Tim Riderby website, of course, in the show notes, as well as um, a link to Michael's LinkedIn if you want to connect. Thanks very much for joining the show. So good to see you. And that was my conversation with Michael McCarroll, CEO and co-founder of Team Ridery. Next week, I've got another really interesting guest. His company is doing some really interesting research into the trends related to hybrid work. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, I'll see you back here again then.